This is Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take, take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and you will th- and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I'll set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and open up your word. Lord, I pray that by your spirit working in us, God, that you would open up our eyes to see. You would convict our hearts, that we would be guided according to your word, God. That we would seek to live in obedience in light of what you have said, God. That is the way we display our love for you. Are we obeying what you have said? And there are great promises for the obedient. There are great reassurances that we can have when walking in obedience. So God, we only know that it it cannot be done apart from Christ and apart from your Holy Spirit. So I pray, God, use your word right now to incite obedience in us. And that, God, you would kill any forms of disobedience that may be lurking in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I, uh, uh, you know, as, as you've heard, we're unable to go to Ecuador, but I love preparing people for Ecuador. I love, as you know, I love showing the pictures of the big spiders and the snakes that you, uh, you, you will see there and the animals that you'll see. And it's really a great way to encourage people to come. And so, uh, you know, showing all these pictures of plants and animals and so but, I, you know, you, you want to tell people what it's like, right? You want to prepare people for what to expect. You know, I don't want to tell them, oh, yeah, we'll be in a four-star hotel. Oh, the, you know, the dining will be so nice. You'll have, you'll have uh, you know, nice fine china to eat on and, you know, little napkins to put on your lap and wipe your mouth with. And, oh, AC is great there and da-da-da-da. You know, one, that would be lying because there, there are none of those things. Uh, but two, it would not prepare them for what to expect. They would com- be completely bombarded bombarded with, wow, this is nothing like he said. And so, and then you, know, you want to give them instructions on things to do and not to do because sometimes it could ultimately save your life, some of these instructions. Hey, don't eat that. I know it looks pretty. I know it se- smells nice, but if you eat it, it will, you will die. So there are those things, kind of things in Ecuador. 
And so you want to prepare people because you want to know, you know, you want them to know what to expect. And you want to know that by abiding by these instructions, it could ultimately be for your well-being and save your life, right? And this is what the Lord's instructions here do for Israel, is that the Lord is giving them instructions in preparation for their conquest of the land, what you'll see later in the book of Joshua, right? And so he's preparing them by giving them instructions for the conquest that's to come and for their settling in the land that God is giving them. And so God's going to give them clear instructions and that compliance with his instructions, obedience to his commands, will actually ensure their blessing and their benefit. But on the opposite end is that their non-compliance or their disobedience to God's instructions and commands will certainly ensure their downfall. And what ultimately we see in Israel's history is that they went with the latter, right? And it certainly was their downfall. And so what we're getting today in verses, verses 20 through 33 is we're getting God's instructions for Israel's, Israel's conquest and settling in the land and that obedience to God's blessing, uh, obedience to God's commands will bring them blessing. And this is the point. God's commands and God commands and blesses obedience. And he does punish disobedience. And so we're going to look at this, these verses in a little bit different way than we normally do. I've kind of broken these things up into three different categories of what happens here in these 13 verses. That God first gives commands. He commands obedience. The second thing is, is that he blesses obedience, or there's promises that come with, with uh, obedience. And the third is that he also gives promises for disobedience. So those are three things that we're going to look at. Is that God commands obedience, that there are promises for obedience, and then there are promises for disobedience. And that's how we'll look at this today. And so look at, let's look at the first one on your outline is this. God commands obedience. He has the right to command Israel's obedience of him. And he gives clear instructions and outlines of what it will look like for them to obey him. His instructions are very clear. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but have you ever received clear instructions and told that if you follow these, it will ensure your success, and you still have find a way to mess them up? A couple of weeks ago, I'm going to go ahead and tattle on myself. Myra was going out, you know, uh, to, I, get, I think, the grocery store for a little while. And so she said, hey, look, you have the responsibility to feed the kids. Here's what, I have this prepared. You take this, put this in the oven, da, 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 da. Here's all the instructions, like, run out for you. I was like, oh, yeah, pff, easy. I've done this before. I'm a dad. Come on. Right? And so she gets home around 2, and um, she says, how'd it go? I was like, oh, it was great. It was great. She's like, what, how'd the kids like lunch? I was like, oh, we haven't had lunch. It's like, she's like, you didn't feed them lunch. I was like, I, I thought, yeah, I thought that's, you know what? I remember you saying that now, that that was my job. I remember you writing out the, yeah, those instructions that you left on the counter. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to follow those, right? She was unclear. You know, it's her fault, but um, so I know y'all don't believe me on that. Uh, and so there are always clear instructions in that if we follow them precisely, it will surely ensure success. But we still have a way of messing them up sometimes, which is Israel's story here, is that 
God gives them very clear instructions how they are going to go about their journey into the land, how to, bring, how to conquer it, and how to settle in it. He's very clear about these things. God gives direct instructions about how their journey is to be conducted and once, what they're supposed to do once they arrive in the land. He's, very, he's been very clear about this. And so what you'll see here in these verses is that God's commands revolve around this, to listen to him. That's really what it revolves. Listen to God. Listen to what he says. And when we say listen, we're not doing the listening, the passive listening, what I just told you I did when Myra gave me instructions. But actually obedience, like acting on what has been said, doing what has been said. And so God says here in verse 20 is that, is that he wants them to obey his commands via his messenger or his angel that he sent, right? So I'm sending an angel, and you're to listen to him. Pay careful attention to him, what it says. Obey his voice. Do not rebel. Obey his voice again. So listen to this person that I'm sending you, right? And that this angel is actually serving as God's kind of representative presence with the people, serving as his representative presence. That's why he can say in verse 21, my name is in him. It's like he has the authority, he's been kind of designated authority for Israel. And this is what we would see in like a dignitary or an ambassador, right? They go to another country and they're speaking on behalf of the United States and they carry with it the, the, the power and privileges of the United States, right? That's what this angel, this messenger is doing. Is that what he says is basically what God is saying to them, right? And that's why it can be said in verse 21, if you don't obey his voice, he will not pardon your transgression. He will not pardon your transgression. So obedience or disobedience to God's messenger is taken as obedience or disobedience to God. You disobey the angel who's leading you, you're disobeying God because he has sent him as his messenger. He will not pardon your transgression. And so obedience to what God has said is very important. It's very important. Obedience to God's word distinguishes, basically, Israel from all the other nations. Who do you obey is the question, and that distinguishes you whether you are a follower of God, Yahweh, or not. And I would say this, church, obedience is still a hallmark of God's people, even today. Obedience to God's word distinguishes who are truly followers of Jesus. And so I would just ask all of us, when we think about these things, how high is obeying Christ on your priority list? How high is that? Is it really ultimately the thing by which you live by that I ultimately, at the end of the day, when I put my head on my pillow, I want to say that I obeyed Jesus today. I want to say that. Because that is the way we express our love for God is through obeying what God has said. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. How do we know we love God? We obey him. Obedience is a big deal for God's people. And it clearly shows whether you are truly a follower of Jesus or not. Not only that is obedience such a big deal, but also God's commands revolve around Israel's relationship with him and with other peoples and other religions and other gods. Is that God commands exclusive allegiance and worship. Just listen to some of the language that he uses when he warns them of this. You shall serve the Lord your God. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. 
You shall not bow down to their gods. You shall not do as they do, verse 24. Don't do as they do. So I'm calling you to be completely distinct from them by only worshiping me. And don't imitate them. Don't take on their practices. Don't take on their rituals. Don't take on any of these things. You know, you probably all know the, uh, the old phrase, when in Rome, what? Do as the Romans do. Hey, man, if everybody else is doing it, you're in a different place, you're in a different time, you're in a different context, just follow along, get in line kind of things like that. God is saying, no. When in Rome, don't do as the Romans do. Be completely distinct from them. Let them notice your distinction. Don't take on their practices. Don't take on their rituals. Do not conform to their way of life. That's what God is calling for his people. You cannot be like everybody else because you do not serve a God like everybody else does. Your God is distinct, therefore you should be distinct. Right? And let me just tell you this. I think we all feel the tension in ourselves, and I think Israel felt the tension too. Nonconformity is hard. Is it not? Not conforming to the world is very difficult. If you find it easy to not fall in line with the world, I, I find it really hard to actually believe that. Because the world is constantly trying to conform us to it, to actually live by when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? But church, listen to this. This is the same truth that Israel is getting here when God's commands. You can't be as they are, and you can't do as they do. You cannot conform to them and still call yourselves a follower of God. And this is what James tells us. Conformity to the world actually sets you in enmity with God. To conform to the world is to be an enemy of God. You can't conform to the world and still be a friend of God, James 4 says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Man, I just ask us all to do a little introspection and look in the mirror right now and say, where am I right now? What am I conforming to? What am I molding myself into? What am I imitating? What am I looking like in this world? And if at the end of the day our answer isn't Jesus, then we are doing it wrong. Because ultimately at the end of the day, if we're in Christ Jesus, what Romans 8 tells us is that we are going to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what it says. But we have to ask ourselves daily, this is part of the sanctification process, what are you looking like right now? Who do you look most like? Who are you trying to imitate in this world? Is there anything in you, in your heart, in your actions, in your thoughts that looks more like the world than Jesus? I would say this. We can't do as they do, just like Israel was commanded. Don't be like them because you're not like them because you have a God that is completely different from anything that they have. You cannot conform to the world. And... and to go even further, his commands aren't just about commanding their obedience. It's not just commanding their distinction. It's also commanding that they fight the enticement to conform, right? The commands also reveal that there is an enticement that comes from following other gods if they leave remnants. So when they're told to go into the land, they're told to break down these pi pillars, shatter these altars, go in here, don't leave a remnant of it. Because if you do, they will become a snare to you. 
This is saying like, you leave any of these artifacts over and you're going to be drawn to worship the gods that they do, right? And so he says, overthrow them, break the pillars in pieces, drive them out. Look, I don't know if you're like me, we don't have a cookie jar at our house. You know why? Because there would be nothing left in it. Are you like me that when you walk through, uh, you know, you walk through the house and if there ever was or will be a cookie jar, you walk through and you're like, I'll just take one. Pop it in. Oh, I got to come back through. You know, just another one. Pop it back in. Oh, man, it's been five minutes. You know, I'll probably burn it off between then and now, right? Is that there's so much enticement for me for a cookie jar, right? This one, look, people, don't bring candy up to this office. I'm telling you. Don't, don't think you're doing something nice for us. Don't leave it on the kitchen. It's terrible. What, you, what you're doing it's just wrong. It's wrong. Because it hurts me. It hurts me. And so I'm just so enticed because it's there. It's there. Does anybody ever do that? And that's, that's the problem. Is that Israel is telling, don't allow any of these things to exist when you go into the land. Because you will be drawn to give into it. You'll be drawn to worship their other gods. It will entice and draw your heart in to follow them. Because I think you know this. This is what sin does. This is what sin does to us when we allow it to exist and have air in our lives. Is that there is such an entrapment to it. And this is ultimately what happens in Israel's history. When they go into the land, they don't conquest it in Joshua. They don't, they, don't, they don't do it. They don't drive out all the peoples. They don't break down the altars. They don't shatter them. Actually, sometimes kings actually build some. As Solomon did. And you know what happened? He went after other gods, just like God's word said. This is how sin works. It doesn't sit, I've said this so many times, sin does not sit stagnant. If you are right now playing in some sin right now, and you think that you can suppress it, you think that you can control it, you think that you can have a hold on it, and you think you can allow it to give air and have existence in your life, let me warn you right now, if you let any remnant of it stay in your life, it will kill you. It will kill you. And if not repented of, it will send you to hell. Repent of sin. Do not let it exist in your life. Do not think that any of it can remain, remain in your life and think, oh, it's no big deal. I'll deal with it later. I'll let it exist now. It's not really a big deal, sin. Sin. Sin sends people to hell. Unrepented sin. Kill it. Do not let it sit stagnant in your life. But Israel's obedience to God's commands, it comes with promises of blessing and assurance and of well-being. And this is point number two, is that God gives promises for obedience. He promises them things, right, if they obey. And if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you've probably used this technique on your children. If you do this, then I will give you this. Please, if you sleep in your bed tonight, I will give you a helicopter to Cuba with a million dollars. I will give you whatever you want. Please, please just sleep, right? If you, you know, if you take out the trash, then I will blank, you know? We make promises for obedience, right? 
And this is what God does in some, not those kind of things, but uh, is that God makes promises. If you obey, it will generally go better for your life. This is what the book of Proverbs is all about, right? Is that God also promises benefits and rewards and assurances for his people if they will obey him. And so a couple of these, uh, the, all, actually all of these start with a P, so hopefully you'll be able to remember these. Is that first, God promises if they're obedient, he will give them his presence to be with them. That he will always be among them, with them. Is that this says, I will send my angel before you. I will bring you. I will go before you. The Lord promises to be present with his people through his angel, leading them and guiding them all the way. I don't know if you were ever a child like this and you experienced getting lost from your parents in a store, right? Anybody ever have that experience before? Getting lost somewhere? And you were terrified, right? You were terrified that you had just been torn apart from your family and you, you are never going to see them again and you're going to end up on a milk carton or something like that. And you're just, you, you will never, that's, it's scary as a kid, right? And you're just hiding in the clothes, uh, you know, that, that little circle thing that looks so cool. But you're terrified that you've lost your parents' presence. And let me just say this for the Lord reassures his people here, Israel. If you're obedient, you never have to have that fear that my presence will be taken from you. you will, I will always be with you. If you live in obedience, if you continue to love, worship, and obey me, the promise, promise of my presence is never ending. And God keeps this promise to his people. This is what he says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Is that when he's about to go into the land, he promises, I, I'll, I'll be with you. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God continues to say, if you live in obedience, my presence will never be taken from you. I will always be there. And I would just say this, church. Living in obedience, we never have to be fearful that God is going to take his presence from us. He's given us his presence in his son Jesus and now in his spirit. And in the midst of a really daunting task of the Great Commission... To make disciples of all nations, God again promises his spirit. Anybody remember how Matthew 28, 20 ends? And I will be with you always to the end of the age. God promises his presence with his people in the midst of a great commission. So God promises his presence if they obey him, but also God promises his protection of them is that God promises protection and security and defense of his people. Just listen to some of the things that he says. I send my messenger to guard you. I will blot them out. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the peoples against you who shall come. I will make all of your enemies turn their backs on you. Man, I will send hornets before you. Right? Is that God reassures them. You will have such security and such safety and such protection that no one will touch you. No one. I was looking up some of the most uh, secure vaults and banks in the world. Not that I'm planning to rob anything, but um, just wanted to see what it, well, I kind of was thinking, what would it take if I were a bank robber to rob a bank? And I, the one that I came across was Fort Knox Depository, if anybody's heard of this one. So, put it in a hypothetical scenario. 
if a bank robber was somehow able to get through the solid granite wall perimeter and past the squadrons of machine gun wielding guards and armed military, the thief would then still have to contend with a 22-ton vault door. That 22-ton blast door is held shut by a lock so intricate that it requires a 10-person team to unlock. Yeah, I, I'd probably get tired from the drive over there. Um, so I'm not really into puzzles and stuff like that. So, the, you know, yeah, I guess the guys with machine guns too. But you put your money in the Fort Knox Depository, you can be sure it's probably going to be safe. It sounds like an impenetrable force, right? And let me just say this, is that this is God's promise to his people right now. This is God's promise to us. In the midst of threatening enemies on Israel, God will provide protection and security for his people, more secure, more impenetrable, and more safe than any man-made vault, weapon, or military could provide. That's how safe and protected and secure God's people will be when they go into the land. That's what God's promising them. Is that he won't, and he won't just protect them. God will position himself as an enemy to them. Listen, this is what he says in verse 22. I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Like the, the, the literalness of this verse is, I will enemy your enemies and I will foe your foes. Basically, I'm going to set myself, not in a neutral position to them, but if you obey me, I will set myself as an enemy towards them. It's, it reminded me of that phrase, the enemy of my enemy is what? My friend. So God will set himself against their enemies, just as he promised them in the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, is that those who curse you, I will what? I will curse. I will curse. Look, church, God will always protect his people, ultimately, finally, and eternally. Danger, threat, and opposition will never be able to separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. Listen to this. Who shall separate us from what? The love of God. Shall tribulation? What's the answer? No. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall danger? Sword? Nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's how secure, that's how protected you are in Christ Jesus. That none can touch you if we live in obedience to him. There's none who can touch that. God promises his presence for them. He promises his protection of them. And he promises his provision of them. That God's blessings for obedience are his provision and restoration of his people. Their experience in the land that they're going to take is unlike any experience that they've had where they've lived previously, like Egypt, right? Listen to what he says. He says, look, if you obey me, I'm going to bless your bread and water. I'm going to take away sickness. None shall miscarry or be barren. I will fulfill the number of your days. These promises sound like an Eden-like experience, right? That sounds, sounds like Eden. None of those things will exist. There's no pain, there's no sadness, there's no turmoil, there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no sickness, there's no tears, there's no death, there's no bad news, right? These things will just be a memory to Israel. 
And this is what God is setting up for his people, even for us, as Revelation 21 says. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. For Israel, if they obey, he will bring them into a land where all their problems are non-existent anymore. And that is the hope for us. If you are in Christ Jesus, this promise is for you too. Is that there will come a day when we are with God, we will be his people in the new heavens and new earth, and that death and bad news and turmoil and distress and pain are just a memory. Because they are remnants of a of a land we don't know anymore. What a place that will be, right? And so God promises his presence. He promises his protection. He promises his provision. And lastly, he promises a place to them. He promises a place. This is part of their reward. It's not just freedom from the pains of this life. It's not just freedom from their enemies, right? But it's an inheritance where they get to dwell in a place that God is going to dwell with them in their midst. And so God's preparing this place for them, getting it ready, driving out, driving out little by little their enemies from it, getting it ready, right? We just did that with the Fazels, right? We did fill their pantry because we wanted to get their house ready for them so they didn't walk into it all empty, right? Nobody likes to walk into an empty house. It's overwhelming, right? This is what God's doing right now. It's what he's doing for his people, preparing it for his people to inhabit and to dwell with him. And look, Christian, we have the same provision and same promise in Jesus of a place. You can look forward to a place that he has prepared, and you can be reassured that if we follow him in obedience, we will inherit it. Isn't this what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'd go and what? Prepare a place for you. Right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and there where I may also be. This is Jesus' promises to you. Preparing a place. He was preparing a place for his people Israel and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get there, I'll come back and I'll take you with me. This is what we long for, a place to be with God in his presence, full provision and satisfaction. So these are the promises that God gives for obedience. These are the promises that we can hold on to. If we walk faithfully in obedience with God, is that we have these promises of presence, of protection, of place, of provision, all in Christ Jesus. This is your promises as well, church. This is not just Israel's. And so God makes Numerous promises to his people that this is what they will experience if they walk in obedience. But if they walk in disobedience, if they rebel, there are also promises when it comes to disobedience. This is point number three, the promises of disobedience. Look, it, you know, when it comes to kids or it comes to anybody, if we make commands and the commands have no consequences if there is disobedience, What's the point of a law? What's the point of a command? What's the point of di a direction, right? Is that laws, commands, and warnings that 
that have no teeth are kind of worthless, right? They're pointless. And so God promises blessings will follow obedience, but also consequences will follow disobedience. It will be serious. And so if Israel chooses to rebel and disregard God's instructions through his messenger, they will be treated accordingly. God will not tolerate their disobedience. He will not sit idly beside, you know, aside and say, no big deal, right? This is why he says in verse 20, for he will not pardon your transgression. He will not pardon it if you sin. And so there are blessings for obedience, but there are what the law calls, there are cursings for disobedience. There are cursings. Is that God has made a covenant with his people. And to break covenant, there are consequences. It's like breaking a contract, right? You sign a contract and you make a promise to keep that contract. If you break it, you're responsible. And you might suffer some consequences for breaking that contract, right? And that's what God is saying to his people. Is that I'm being faithful to you and I will never break the contract. But there are serious consequences if you break the contract with your rebellion. This is what Deuteronomy 29 says. It says, verse, verse 1 of Deuteronomy 29, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So there are curses that fall upon a person who disobeys God's word, who disregards what God has said, who does not see God as one having authority to command obedience, who does not care about the blessings that come with obedience. There are consequences and curses that come with that. And let me just say, church, anyone in here, this is us. This is us. Apart from Christ, the curse falls on us. We've broken faith with God. We've not followed his instructions. We've disregarded his commands. We've said, I don't care about what good may come out of it. I don't want to listen to you. And like Deuteronomy 29 says, if we break covenant with God, which we have done, the curses fall on us. That's serious. So what are we to do? Maybe you're in here this morning and you're not in Christ Jesus. The curses of breaking covenant with God are on you right now. But God is what he says of himself in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Yeah, he punishes sin and iniquity for thousands of generations. But he's also gracious and merciful, loving and steadfast. This is who, this is who Christ is. Is that for anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have to take the curse of breaking the covenant, of breaking all these laws, of taking the punishment for disobedience. This is what Christ came for. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3.13. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Meaning, that's us. We didn't keep every single law. We broke the commands. That's us. And so the curse falls on us. But then he, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus comes in our place and he takes the curse that we deserve because of breaking all God's laws and commandments. He takes the curse for us. All those who believe, you do not have to walk out of here this morning with the curse still hanging over your head. Christ has redeemed you and can redeem you. If you believe, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't conform to the world. Be, be conformed to Jesus. That's his promise to you. And that we can truly say that this is our story as Chance read this morning at the beginning. But there was one man who through one trespass came condemnation for every single person. But there was one man who through one act of obedience, living perfectly in our place, through his obedience, we are made righteous. Sinners are made righteous. This can be your story. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Please, let him, as he has through the cross, take the curse that lays on your head right now because you've broken God's laws. This morning, if you're in Christ Jesus, take hold of these promises that he gives for obedience. That right now, you have God's presence dwelling in you. That's so, the confidence that you can have by the Spirit dwelling in you is so great. God has is protecting you right now, that none can snatch you out of his hand. None can take it from you. And there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven from you, who's being guarded by God's power, what First Peter says. And that you have provision now, that God has given you provision, that everything you need is in Christ Jesus. And there will be a day when he will wipe away every bad memory, where we will be with him in the place where he dwells, safe and securely. This is your hope. Take hope in a Christian. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. Thank you we can take hold of all these promises that we have. I pray, help us to live in obedience, God. It is difficult. The conformity of this world is, is enticing us every day. But let us seek to be conformed to Jesus. I pray this morning, anybody who is living in disobedience under the curses of the law, that they find hope in Jesus who has come and redeemed us by becoming the curse for us. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.